0: All right. Well, good morning, officially. And uh, we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 37 today. And so this is an interesting section. I don't know how many of you guys um, are interested in, like, politics or political novels or even uh, documentaries. Um, But if you are, you'll notice that there's always a lot of intrigue at the top of the power Uh, there's, there's, you know, insider moves and all that sort of stuff. And you'll see that on full display. And the big idea is there's never a wrong time for someone to speak the truth into those situations. Um, there's never a wrong time if you're in leadership to receive the truth in those situations. And, um, and speaking the truth is sometimes, something that requires a certain amount of courage uh, because the um, your voice may often not be in the majority. And so that w- can be at work. It could be in family power moves. It could be uh, in various governmental levels. And I think you'll see the applications here. So we'll jump on in. And uh, the history of... of uh, that's kind of in the background and sometimes in the foreground of, uh, we'll probably get through 37, 38, is very interesting. I probably won't do it justice, uh, but we'll uh, go through because it kind, of, it kind of fits into all of this. All right, so we'll jump on in. Uh, chapter 37 of Jeremiah, verse one. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Keniah, the son of Jehoiakim. So this is a lot already in this verse, and I'll, I'll just make a couple things. So if you go up one verse to chapter 36, verse 32, it says, remember um, last week, Jeremiah had um, uh, given the, you know, he said, you haven't listened to me with all the prophesying I've been doing all these years, so I'm going to write it down. So he gave written word to Jehiakim. Uh Jehoiakim was not having it cut it up and burned it for firewood, so to speak. And so in verse 32, it says, so Jeremiah took another roll and wrote on it, the dictation, all the things that Jehoiakim of Judah had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to him. And we found just above that, that Jehoiakim, because he had refused to hear everything, had received a curse. And it says, you're not gonna have anyone that sits on the throne from your lineage. And sure enough, in verse one of chapter 37, now we say it says Zedekiah, son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king. Well, wait a minute. What's Nebuchadnezzar doing making king? How, what, what happened here? And so here what's happened is, this is 10, 15 years later from where we just left off. Sure enough, um, after Jehoiakim died, his son was attempted to make a king. That didn't happen. So by this time... Babylon has come down from, you know, what would have been the Assyrian. They took over the Assyrians, you remember. They came, came down, and they are basically at the door. And so there's so much pressure to, to them to, uh, on Jerusalem to um, basically surrender to the Babylonians that, that there have been some negotiations, and Zedekiah... Uh, had basically agreed, Zedekiah was the brother of Jehoiakim. all right? So still kind of connected, would have been accepted by the populace, but in keeping with that curse, it wasn't in Jehoiakim's line. So Jedekiah had been basically appointed because Babylon by that time was at the gate, basically in essence had already conquered them, but just not a complete surrender yet. But they, when it says he had appointed him king, that's kind of what had happened. Well, that rolled along for a while, but then Zedekiah and his people, they didn't want to rel- relinquish power, right? So he reneged on the deal. His, his, his deal to be kind of sympathetic to the Babylonians because they had kind of brought him to power, he reneged on that. And he made treaties with Egypt to his south, thinking that Egypt was going to come and support him and thereby help him repel the Babylonians. All right, you with me so far? Right. There's a lot going on. Anyway, so that's kind of where we are. Uh, verse 2, "...but neither he," that is Zedekiah, "...nor his servants, nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet." King Zedekiah sent Jehoi, son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Messiah, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Please pray for us to the Lord our God. Now, Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. The army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. So, I can see right now, we're not... We're not going to make it to thirty-eight, so <laughs> just kind of. No, this is interesting. I was going to say I'm just going to throttle down here a little bit because it is good. I agree with you. So, first of all, um, Zedekiah is going to Jeremiah and says, "Please pray for us to the Lord our God." Now, isn't this right there just interesting? Jeremiah has been telling him the words of the Lord for so not just him, but all of his predecessors for so many years, probably 35 or so years by this time. And now here we have him going to Jeremiah and says, please pray for us, the Lord our God. Now, I think probably what was happening is he was wanting Jeremiah to say, please pray that the Babylonians will go away and that the Egyptians will come to our rescue. He was wanting a sympathetic prayer, but of course, he wasn't really listening to God because it says that in verse two, neither he nor his servants, nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord. So the word of the Lord was already out there. Jeremiah had been saying, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. So this is like uh, one of the commentators said this. I thought this was true. This is like someone that you maybe knew from an acquaintance or maybe you saw them in the workplace. And by their manner, by their speech, by their background, you could just tell they weren't in Sunday school every morning, every Sunday, right? (laughs) Rough around the edges to be kind. But then something happens in their life and they say, you know, why don't you send up a little prayer for me? Put, Put in a good word with the Lord. I I know you go to church and everything, so just put in a good word for me. You ever had that happen? Right? (laughs) Lots of heads nodding here. Um, That's kind of what's happening here. Zedekiah says, you know, put in a good word for us. But it's interesting, and I I didn't, this was just brought out by the commentators, which I thought was interesting. He sent two people, Jehochul and Zephaniah. Now, Jehochul we'll see again in a little while, and Zephaniah will also hear about but Jehoiakim was not happy uh, with, um, with uh, Jeremiah at all. Um, in fact, let's see. I wrote down who he was. Um, I think he was... Jehoiakim. it was his um, granddad, Hananiah, who was the one that was like the false prophet and had been involved with putting Jeremiah in the stocks. And he was prophesying all, that, oh, everything's going to be fine. And Jeremiah said, nope. And and in fact, you're going to die. That was Jacob's granddad, right? So he was not at all sympathetic to Jeremiah. <laughs> Zephaniah, on the other hand, uh, who is not the high priest, but we'll find later, uh, kind of second in command sort of priest. And there are several uh, things that... Uh, we'll see down the road, uh, they indicate he was he was sympathetic um, to Jeremiah. In fact, down the road, after the capture happens, uh, he gets uh, accused by some people for going soft on Jeremiah. So one commentator said, this is the classic good cop, bad cop sort of approach. That Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, um, Zedekiah has sent uh, the good cop and the bad cop to Jeremiah saying, put in a good word for us. Uh, for the Lord. And here we are in verse 4. Now Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. Uh, So he was still teaching, preaching every chance he got, you know, just uh, probably when they saw him come and they knew what he was going to be saying. Um, And here we have the army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt. And it says when the Chaldeans, I don't know what your Bible says, but the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians. That's just another name. For the Babylonians. So the Babylonians are kind of, you know, in, in the vicinity uh, on the northern side of, of Judah, Jerusalem, and they get word that the Egyptians are coming up from the south. So the Babylonians just kind of press pause on their siege of Jerusalem so that they can go down and take care of the Egyptians. And that's when it says, when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard the news, they withdrew from Jerusalem. And, and this was um, a siege going on, right? Uh, there, you know, so an embargo, a blockade, you know, all, the, you know, restriction of goods and services, you know, water. There were, you know, there were a few springs within Jerusalem, but, you know, all those things were being affected. The classic old school um, siege of a city, Verse 6, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, thus shall you say to the king of Judah who sent you to me to inquire of me, behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt to its own land. In other words, that semi-treaty you thought you had with Egypt that was going to oblige them to come and help you, they're not that into you and they're going back home. Verse eight, and furthermore, the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. They shall capture it, capture it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, don't deceive yourselves, saying, the Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go away. And then <laughs> Jeremiah just cranks up the volume and says, even if you defeat the whole army of the Chaldeans who are fighting against you, and there remained any of them and only wounded... Every man in his hint they would rise up and burn this city with fire. In other words, if the only people left of Babylon were the sick and the injured, even they would be enough to burn this place to the ground because you are on the wrong side of things. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, says... uh, that what has struck several commentaries, actually, not just him, is this concept that Zedekiah was a bit of a traitor. He was a traitor to his people. Uh, he was a traitor to the Lord. He was a traitor, in essence, going back on his word to the to Nebuchadnezzar, who had in, who brought him the power to begin with. But in, in terms of being a spiritual traitor, Wearsby said, uh, one mark of a spiritual traitor, he said, number one, as it says in verse 2, He didn't listen to the words of the Lord. His second point was, he said he wasn't praying for his people. Um, He asked Jeremiah to pray for him, sort of, but that in itself shows extreme weakness. If you're asking other people to pray for you and you're not praying for yourself and your own family, then there's something really wrong about that. And and, we've all known people who have done that. And then, thirdly, as it kind of applies in this verses six through ten, Wearsby makes the point that that Zedekiah just refused to be saved. He refused the graces that had been offered him over and over and over again. And when you fully turn your back on everything that you truly know to be from God, then then you have, you have really crossed over the line and become a full-on spiritual traitor, as he calls it. And I think, um, you know, we, we can all agree with that, I'm sure. Now, verse 11, here we go. Now, when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. So this is interesting. So there'd been a siege, right? So no people, people aren't just leaving and coming and going at, at leisure. Um, instead, um, it's on lockdown, you might say. But when the Babylonians kind of pulled back a little bit, then Jeremiah went to leave. So he went to the land of Benjamin. So that was his, his home. And it says he went there to get his portion. And apparently, in the Hebrew, there's, you know, people find tons of things to talk about this, but uh, most people settle on the fact that uh, this had to do with inheritance and dividing pro- ancient property and so forth. In essence, Jeremiah was getting his house in order. He saw how things were going, he knew it was not going to go well for him, he knew that he was um, just basically appointed by God to kind of just follow through whatever was happening. It wasn't looking good at all. And this was his last chance to to leave the city, go to his ancestral lands, get with his family, and put his affairs in order. Uh, That was going to be his last opportunity. So that was his motivation to leave. But he gets accused. Verse 13. When he was at the Benjamin Gate, that's one of the gates of the city, a sentry there was named Erija, I- I- the son of Shalamiah, son of Hananiah. Oh, so I got this wrong. Yeah, so this is the Hananiah that put him in the stocks. The Jehoiakim, he didn't like him for some other reason. I'll, I'll, come, I'll figure out what that has meant. I, I, I had it written down somewhere. But anyway, so this is the son of, um, uh, the, the grandson of Hananiah, you might say. He sees a prophet saying, you are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, it's a lie. I'm not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Elijah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for it had been made a prison. So, spiritually, Jeremiah had been trying to t- tell everybody repent 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 right he's used marriage language he's used the language of adultery he's you know you know he's talked about the rotten figs he's talked about you know the trash piles you know all the different ways the dirty underwear got in there somewhere Um, over and over there's been this huge spiritual component of repent 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 your problem is with the lord but what was, other, what was also going on, he also was talking about the punishment. Babylonians are going to come. They're going to take, you know, it's, you know. And so he was viewed in those circles as a Babylonian sympathizer. From their perspective, he was just undercutting the morale of the guards that were defending the city. Can you picture that? Oh, my gosh. He is a traitor. He keeps speaking all this Babylonian. Babylonian, Babylonian. That's all he, he's literally babbling about is the Babylonians. <laughs> you know, we need, we need confidence at the, at the gates. We need the, you know. And so within this court, as you might imagine, there were some Babylonian influences and there were a lot of Egyptian influences. And as you might expect from the way you've kind of seen this go, the Egyptian influences were kind of prominent at the time, because at least they thought they're going to help protect us from the Babylonians. So Jeremiah is seen as a Babylonian sympathizer. That's why they were mad at him. Not because they were, this is not a spiritual thing to them. They just, you know, he's a threat to power. So uh, this secretary of state, you might say, um, his quarters, and apparently it was common in the day that part of your house would be turned into a jail, which is interesting. Anyway, verse 16. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. Interesting. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, is there any word from the Lord? So this is interesting. There's something about Zedekiah that keeps, he just keeps coming back. So there's like this little element. He's just hoping that God eventually is going to come on his side, but he is not willing to get on God's side. He's just hoping that God changes his mind or something. He doesn't want to raise suspicion, right? So he questions him in secret, any word from the Lord. Jeremiah says, you know what? Actually, there is. (laughs) There actually is a word of the Lord. This is going to surprise you. Then he said, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. (laughs) Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it it probably wasn't humorous, but you know, a few <laughs> a few millennia later, it is a little humorous. Um, but then there's more. Verse eighteen, Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah. By the way paraphrasing here. What wrong have I done to you or your servants or this people that you have put me in prison? So I've told you the message from the Lord. You will be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon. But let me bring up something about myself. Why have you put me in prison? What wrong have I done you? Verse 19, where are your prophets who prophesied to you saying the king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? In other words, clearly they were wrong where are they? In other words, they're not in prison. So why am I in prison? I've been telling you the truth. Verse 20. Now here, please, O my lord, the king, let my humble plea come before you and do not send me back to the house of Jonathan, the secretary, lest I die there. So King Zedekiah gave orders and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard. I'm assuming this is some sort of house arrest probably a significant upgrade from the dungeon cells of verse 16. Zedekiah gave orders and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard. And this is interesting, shows you how bad things were. And a loaf of bread was given him daily from the baker's street until all the bread of the city was gone. The second most famous baker's street in literature. Um, Apparently, this is also the only time we have the name of a street of Jerusalem mentioned. It's kind of interesting, Baker Street. Um, so Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. I wondered if, by chance, Conan Doyle had actually made some vague reference to this when he put that as the, as the fictional location for his famous detective. Um, but apparently not. Apparently, it was just an actual, there was a Baker's Street in England, and uh, he went through the numbers and then tacked on a few more, and 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 that's the one he used for Sherlock Holmes. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Wiersbe had this comment um, about, and I think about this when Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah, in secret, Wiersbe says uh, that Zedekiah flirted with the word of God, which I think is interesting. Um, I don't remember who it was. It's probably been several, but um, I think many of us have, have cringed in the past when you've seen politicians try to make a scripture reference and sometimes don't even get the name of the book right, or, you know, just, you know, it's literally cringing. And Weir'sby goes on to say, quote, how many presidents have taken a similar approach to the Bible? They invite evangelical ministers to the White House. They speak vaguely of their faith in God. But Christians look in vain for signs of true repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Right, and I don't care what you know party your support or whatever, but it is um I think we can all acknowledge that that's true might um, pause there just for a moment, um and maybe we'll pick up thirty eight next week but um I think one thing that's interesting uh, is that in our current political landscape. Uh, People that speak the truth about things from a godly perspective are having an increasingly difficult time being comfortable with 100% probably of any party. I think that's fair to say, right? I think if you're a Democrat, there are probably some things that you would think would be very helpful uh, to the poor and the needy and so forth. But then there are positions that the leaders in your party would take that a Christian probably would not be comfortable with. Um, similarly, if you're a Republican, there might be some things about personal responsibility and freedom and so forth that might resonate with you, but then you would hold your nose at some of the personal integrity issues that show up with leadership. Um, and, and it's, And the thing is, if you have a moderate position in either of those parties, nobody's listening to you, right? Nobody's listening to you. Um, I've mentioned Tim Keller several times. He was talking about this issue. um, And he said, you know, if I say I'm pro-life, staunchly pro-life, but if being staunchly pro-life in my perspective means that I don't think people should have easy access to AR-15s, and I think gun control is part of my pro-life position, which party do I go to? Right? Which party welcomes me into that? Neither one. Right? And I think that's, you know, I think it would take a lot of courage for someone to try to carve out some reasonable path that can be more consistent. Because... Uh, I'm really serious. I don't. I don't think, you know, if if you're a Christian, it would be hard for you to justify every particular thing on either party. And um, and so I think we need to have a lot of um, care. Uh, I I certainly support people, you know, navigating that as best they can and supporting those people that I they think uh, make the best choices. Uh, it's just I think we should all recognize. Um, we don't have amazing choices sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes the the classic lesser of two either evil things is, is fine. And, you know, you put a clothespin on your nose when you go into vote. Um, but I'll say, in spite of who's in the majority or who's in the minority, like I said at the start, there's never a wrong time to speak the truth. It's never too late to speak the truth. And it's never too late to listen to the truth. And I hope that, um, those that are out there um, who who have literally chosen a life of public service, which it's increasingly hard to, to imagine why anybody would want to put themselves through that. Um, but uh, we definitely need to continue to pray for them um, uh, as well. Uh, so I guess maybe we'll pause there. I'm going to run sound, so I'll probably give myself a few extra minutes. Uh, any comments on any of that? Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking about what you said. Um, I was watching the news that I read last night, what we were seeing in, in Fox News, where we uh, Tucker was bringing up about the, the uh, debate going on in Utah. And so it was, it is, I guess there's a so-called independent who ran against Trump before. But he's clearly, if you look at his background, he's a Democrat in his beliefs. But anyway, he's selling himself as a pro-life. And you press him on it, you find out he's pro-life for the woman to have an abortion. It doesn't matter her right to have an abortion. That's his life. That's his life stance. Because They all think that having abortion is so more important than the life of the baby. Yeah. So they they twist the truth on that and twist the terms, and that's what you got to define. It's like the, the Mormons do that. A lot of the uh, Jehovah Witnesses will twist twist terms on salvation and who Jesus Christ is. You know, I don't forget the, like the, these different things. They all have a little twist, and all it takes a little bit of uh, you know what you think is going on, and then they turn around and do something different. And if this guy gets in as a, as a senator or whatever it is, he's going to be. Um, more democrat than anything else
0: one of uh well any comments to that or anybody else about that or anything else i think one of the casualties of the world that we are right now is is um nuance and subtlety um uh headlines you know and labels and stereotypes seem to win the day and um You know, and I think that's why you might have a big disagreement with somebody if you saw they had maybe an offensive t-shirt or something like that. But if you probably pulled them alongside and said, hey, can we get a cup of coffee and have a conversation, it probably would be a little different, you know. And I think that as we kind of move forward, um, taking the the extra step to really engage with people um, on a personal level rather than. Uh, perhaps on 160 characters or whatever it is now that you can do on social media. uh, That's always going to be for the best. So, all right, well, let's close with them. Father, we thank you so much that um, we have Jeremiah as an example of what it means to speak your truth consistently and, um, uh, and courageously. And I pray for um, those of us that might have opportunities to uh, have the ear of of people, uh, aspiring to lead, and that um, we could um, have messages of um, uh, of influence that would be in accordance with your word and that that would fall on uh, receptive ears. Uh, we thank you that ultimately we can put our faith in you, no matter uh, our structure, uh, because you are in control of all of it. We thank you that we have been able to be part of your family uh, through your son, Jesus. In his name, I pray. Amen. Thanks everybody.